When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. It is said that there are nine arts. And what if video games is the tenth? I'm Charles Adam Foster Samard from Ubisoft. You're listening to The Tenth Art, a podcast series about the place of video games in entertainment, culture, and society. In the summer of 2022, an indie game called Stray took the world by storm, due in no small part to the fact that the game allows you to play as a cat. The game definitely struck a chord, and not just with players. In the days after launch, videos of real-world cats watching the game on screens went viral. Of course, games and animals have gone hand-in-hand for years, Whether shooting ducks in Duck Hunt, taking over the city as a Pomeranian or a lion in Tokyo Jungle, riding horses in Red Dead Redemption, or enjoying a flying eagle's point of view in Assassin's Creed, games have always taken inspiration from animals and incorporated them in their gameplay. But what do our in-game interactions with animals tell us about our relationships with animals in real life? To discuss this question with me, our guests for this episode are Benjamin Hall, creative director at Ubisoft Toronto, and Alenda Chang, associate professor in film and media studies at UC Santa Barbara. Hello, both of you. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hello. It's an international uh, conversation today. I'm based in Paris. Alenda, you're in the U.S. on the West Coast. And Ben, you're on the East Coast of Canada. Um, before we begin, I'd just love for you both to introduce yourselves in a few words. So, Ben, we can start with you maybe. Um, what do you do at Ubisoft? Uh, yes, I will do. My name is Ben Hall. and I'm a creative director at Ubisoft. So, so my job as creative director is to work with a, a game team of experts across all disciplines of making video games, um, from narrative to graphics to animation to art to level design to put together a game experience for our players to play and enjoy. You're based out of Ubisoft Toronto, and most recently you've worked on Far Cry 6, is that right? That's right, yep. Great. And Alenda, what about you? Uh, So I am a professor at University of California, Santa Barbara, in Film and Media Studies, but my specialty is actually... um, thinking about games in terms of an environmental perspective. So I wrote a book called Playing Nature, Ecology and Video Games. Um, So I'm (laughs) very excited about the topic today, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm really excited to jump in. And actually, the the theme of your book is like perfect and and really sets the tone for a conversation today, of course, which is all about animals. And I'm curious to to explore 
how animals are kind of used in games, essentially, or represented in games, and also what that says a little bit about uh, how we think about animals outside of games as well. And so one thing that I want to start the conversation with is I've been reading a lot and trying to wrap my head around this topic for the last few weeks. And one thing that I've been thinking a lot about and, and reading about is that games often treat animals as very utilitarian. Um, they're there to be hunted, or they're there to give you resources, they're there for fast travel in the case of some horses or some things that you ride. Um, they give you a gameplay advantage or they give you something that you need to progress in the game. So I guess I want to ask you first, do you agree with that? <laughs> and and maybe, you know, what what is your reaction to that and, and do you think that's changed over the years? Um, ben, I see you nodding. <laughs> maybe we can start with you. Yeah, I'm nodding to that. You know, over the years, looking back at video games, not that long ago, animals would typically just be used as enemies or they'd be used as things to try and stop you in your tracks and, and halt your progress and slow you down. But mm -hmm. as devices have got more powerful and it gives us more opportunity to use animals in different ways, and I, and I use the word use because you're using the word utilitarian, and I think yesterday, in my opinion, they, they are still very much a utility because it's kind of in air quotes, though, because they're there now for us to be able to create a world that feels real, that feels alive, that feels dynamic. Mm. And, and animals play an important role in making sure that a space feels like it's alive and it's moving. So there's a lot of effort and work by the team that's put into ecosystems. The flora and fauna are actually alive and dynamic and they interact with each other. And those interactions are part of what makes the world feel real because there's things that can happen that you wouldn't expect. So the systems of the world are, are happening by themselves. And as a player, you can you can actually stand and watch and observe and see predator animals hunt prey animals and see these things play out in front of you. But then you can interact with them if you choose to and you can get involved with those different conflicts and, and, and things like that. So I think they have been used as a utility in video games. I imagine they probably will for some time because we're always looking at it from the perspective of the player and the player's perspective is experience and entertainment so we're always looking for mm. those systems to function in a way that they can give the player something different to talk about like everything else in the game right everything you're putting into the game is has to serve the experience of the player in some way and and add yeah. to that to that Absolutely. experience yeah elenda do you have anything uh, that you'd like to say to react to that <laughs> i'm a huge fan of the way that um, virtual worlds and game environments are heading where there is this greater interaction in the flora and fauna of the world because it, it, it really just um, adds to that sense of immersion. But I, I do think it's correct to say that animals have been largely sort of set pieces, you know, and, um, you know, one of my complaints in researching this has just been that a lot of game environments are either scenic backdrops or sort of instrumental stockpiles. <laughs> For, for player advancement. Mm. And I think um, animals is, animal representation is maybe one way out of that. And I think um, the genre I actually think about is farm games, which is kind of silly because um, it's a lot of those casual games. But um, one of the ridiculous things about those games was that you would harvest like bacon, for instance, but no noticeable harm would come to the pigs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the pigs would sort of continue about their merry way <laughs> without, <laughs> without any noticeable difference. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, taking a very historic relationship that we had to animals on the farm in agriculture and kind of turning it into a game mechanic that was very much about utility, but not really about the relationship necessarily or yeah. the respect you would have for the animals. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it is, I think by ne- by necessity, animals have to be u- utilitarian in some respects because of player experience. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in in maybe changing the formula, right? So that in the future, that would change. <laughs> well, what you're saying reminds me, well, first of all, I'm thinking of Stardew Valley, which I think the animals give you things like fur or eggs or milk, right? So I don't think you slaughter any of them. That's an interesting one because you also get to name the animals and everything. So you kind of like take care of them and develop a relationship with them or you can personalize them a little bit more. Um, Ooh, yeah. I think you don't slaughter in Stardew Valley, but um, I was thinking Farmville, you do actually collect sure. bacon without harming right. pigs. Um, but naming is a, you know, it's a <laughs> classic. A other... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Turning, domesticating things. And, you know, people yeah. that actually work with animals, like the Sami people in sort of the northern regions, um, you know, they don't name their reindeer. Well, the, the, also what it's reminding me of is like in a lot of games when let's say there's a dead animal, there's there's an animal that's been killed or hunted. It's it's basically treated like a container, right? You just open it up and it gives you the resources inside. And of course, then that brings up because you talk about this kind of detachment from what it really takes in real life to actually slaughter an animal if, or hunt an animal and collect meat or collect the skin or whatever. But then a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 presents you with a, a longer animation, at least in other games. So it's like gesturing towards that realism, you know, <laughs> of like watching the character for 10 seconds kind of detach the skin from the from the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, do you want to actually represent that process or operationalize it? <laughs> I mean, people always think because I'm sort of an ecology-oriented person that I'll be horrified by hunting games, but I in some respect they're they're a little more honest mm. <laughs> to the experience of coexisting with animals. Um, but there are, you know, there are ga- hunting games where, you know, you do do the skinning and sort of collecting of the meat. But there are others where that sort of just gets papered over. And there are others where you get rewarded for making a clean kill, which I think is really interesting because it actually embeds an ethical relationship to the animal. Oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you know, where it's not just about wounding and then following it for miles, yep. <laughs> but but rather about, and you know, minimizing its suffering. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think there's actually a lot of potential in that in that genre. I think there's lots of ways in which it can be used to, to teach, but without without preaching and I think that's always something that we we were careful with like the comparison of Red Dead Redemption you know when we first got our hands on that and played that and those animations and there's a response there which is as entertainment as something that players are going to sit in the in their houses and their couches playing is that time something that people want to spend on that and and it really becomes an an argument of people's time and and how much time Mm -hmm. they want to spend understanding that system and understanding the reality of actually what it takes to to kill an animal and i eat meat but um you know i've had that question asked of me you know would you kill an animal and skin it and and those kind of things and you know you feel icky just kind of thinking about it which is a weird dichotomy in itself and i think having elements of that in video games to be understood is important because I think as humans I mean technically we are animals right so but uh, as humans <laughs> we have utilized animals ourselves in our own cultures for millennia since since the beginning right as tools as as transportation as food as warmth so there's kind of an ingrained element of understanding that that is a system that that functions 
And mm-hmm. I think the, the op- there is opportunity out there to see, you know, how can we survive without that same system? Because is it mm-hmm. possible? And there's a lot of people that do live like that. And I think, you know, there is an opportunity for games to investigate the teaching side of it, the learning side of it, and, and also then understanding how we could live, you know, a video game, for example, where animals are extinct because of human you know, humans, what we've done to the planet and whatnot. And then what does that mean for humans to be able to survive with that and could explore those elements of trying to live differently with, with animals on the planet. So, Or even over hunting, right? A lot of games yeah. that have hunting elements, even like an action-adventure game, there's never a, um, a fear of, like, population of certain species depleting or anything like that. But, you know, maybe it would be an interesting mechanic to enter where you have to actually not overhunt if you want to make sure that in the long term more of that animal is there for you to keep uh, keep getting yeah, whatever for, you need from it or for sure it's it, you know as as computers get more powerful and there's more memory there's more opportunity mm-hmm. for us to develop systems like that where we can remember and i think that you know typically in a game you go to a space and the way the systems have been over the years you go there everything re- regenerates the trees regenerate the bushes yep. even if you burned it down 10 minutes ago it doesn't remember and i think the the yeah. element of persistency is something that will become important in the way that we create these environments in order for them to feel more realistic as we as we move right. into the next generation of consoles and start to understand them better and and try to build worlds that feel more realistic persistence mm. will become uh, an important factor yeah i love that actually because you know and obviously we're in a time of environmental crisis and i think i think part of video games being able to tell that story and to reach people with that is to allow states of decay and and loss and you know i've dreamed about so it's to me it seems kind of silly but a game where um i can fall in love with a tree or an animal <laughs> that actually ages over time and you know it's like the giving tree the 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 classic children's story but where I could actually grieve the loss of a particular element of the, you know, ecosystem. Right. That world it's okay or, to get attached to something and experience that thing dying mm-hmm. or, or leaving or, or getting destroyed or whatever. And, and that's part of, part of life, as it were. Um, okay. We've talked a lot this season about, like, the, of, of course, the interactive nature of video games. So I think it's interesting to talk about it in, in this situation as well. And, uh, Ben, what you were talking about, persistence, you know, it's, it's essentially like making those consequences of the player's actions maybe be more, more meaningful. Can I say one more thing, which is that of course. it's actually about utilitarianism. I'm not sure. actually that worried about video games making animals utilitarian because it's part of the art form, right? Mm. But it's actually more, it's more scary how we treat real animals <laughs> in, in a utilitarian way with concentrated animal feeding operations where we've kind of rendered them into little capitalist commodity units that don't have experience or, you know, that we don't sort of think about their, um, you know, their way of life or their sociality. And and, um, so I I think in that respect, video games, they're not the main problem. I'll flip it back to you because we had a conversation about about environmental sustainability, you know, in our last episode, which which relates to this in a way. And is in that case, there are obviously issues in the world about how animals are treated. And maybe it's fair to say that some players are separated by nature and in our modern world. Right. A lot of us live in cities. And of course, we don't see in terms of the food chain, like where a lot of our food comes from, especially when we consume meat. So. Do you think video games maybe as an art form or as a form of entertainment have a, has a role to play in helping players, you know, see that and see how animals 
exist and uh, are treated in the world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, at least I think these games are provoking curiosity, mm-hmm. I think, about at least the ways that ecosystems um, have existed historically or in the present and maybe relations between particular species or even just things about, you know, um, the chance of aggression, yeah. right? So we talked about Red Dead Redemption. So in some ways that's a little unrealistic in terms of how often you get attacked by <laughs> large predators, which would normally <laughs> stay out of your way. <laughs> well, I, Benjamin mentioned right, Far but... <laughs> Cry. I don't want to talk about Far Cry 5 and there's a lot of bear attacks in that in that, in Montana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta stay away from those woods. So... <laughs> <laughs> right, don't picnic nope. near mountain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's, so it's maybe not communicating complete realism but it is at least provoking curiosity sure. i think and that and that's and that's a good starting point yeah and i think, I think quite often we look into the good and the bad it's in, you know it's a it's a, a regular topic and especially thinking far cry again that we look at and um, when we go to a place that we we analyze so so when we pick a space on the planet that we're going to try and re represent to to the player as they go mm-hmm. there to explore we do a lot of research into what's going on there to be able to to find the good and the bad and things that we can write stories about so you know i think there is the potential at some point that commercialization of animal production is a thing that could be tapped into as as a storyline that would be but again it, it would need to come from a an arc. We need to figure out what the arc is and how yeah. it fits into it. It wouldn't necessarily be something that would set out and be like, okay, we're going to make a game about that. But I think if if it was to yeah. fit into one of our you know, settings that we were going to pick from, we'd definitely want to do the research and portray it properly. And this is tangentially related to what you're saying, Ben, but like for Far Cry 6, I think the team took it to the next level in terms of the animal companions that you can have, the amigos, because they're kind of flipping expectations about what a companion can be, what an animal can be. That, and of course, going back to the utilitarian thing, like they all have a use, they'll fight for you. In the case of Chorizo, like he'll go, you know, distract an enemy or whatever. They have different uses. Dig stuff up. Yeah, exactly. But they're really, in terms of like representations of animals, like you wouldn't think of a crocodile as a as a cool pet that you know. Usually, they're seen as as quite as enemies to all humans. So it's interesting to have these animals as as pets. And I I I don't know how how involved you were in the selection of the amigos, but you know, was that something that the team was conscious of and and was trying to do in terms of representing um, these yeah, animal I mean, companions? The, I wasn't directly involved with with those discussions, but I was involved with it more from a looking at the the world that we were building and making a world that makes sense. And and obviously, yeah. you know, we were looking at. Central Caribbean and, and those islands, and in particular Cuba, was one of the big references for Far Cry Six. And with the, the yeah. Cuban crocodile, it, it then became about representation of what animals that location has that people outside of that area might not be so familiar with or might not recognize right. so much. Then, then it became a question of where do these animals fit into the systems that we're creating. And when it comes to the open world, we you know we pushed the boundaries a little bit and we looked outside of Cuba and, and more at the. Caribbean in general and, and Central South America for some archetypes of animal that would just create uh, better ecosystems in terms of as being able to have a predator and a prey and have the interactions between them make sense. Is there a desire when you're building those systems and integrating those animals and worlds to, because you're talking about a lot about realism, but is there a desire also to subvert expectations sometimes, I guess, or teach uh, maybe surprise players or teach them about something they might have not have known about? I think in general, the goal is to try and create 
things that don't subvert expectations because we're trying to make something that feels natural and realistic. The moments when we do mm. want to subvert expectation is, is the moments where we do want to shock the player, we want to surprise them and, and then give them something unexpected for a reason. So whether it be like mm-hmm. in the case of Guapo where you, you turn up at the bar and, and there all of a sudden there's a crocodile that's helping you fight against soldiers. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange kind of sensation, but it, it's something that becomes memorable. Then, and I think that was the key was having a, a memorable moment that gives you an unexpected element that you remember and take with you as you move forward whereas you might not necessarily remember the encounter that you have with a routine uh, a, a that, that you're giving little f- food to or something it becomes more just part of the world that you play in at that point and you can kind of develop relationships of course with those with those um animals they become characters just like another yeah. npc right <laughs> but once once that you also have a healthy respect for i don't think you <laughs> I mean, after watching them, like, devour people and bring you body parts, I think. <laughs> it's hard to feel, like, snuggling You can with, give Guapo a little cuddle and stroke his little... Is it a snout on, on, like, on a crocodile? I'm not sure if it's a snout. I mean, I'm a huge fan of reptiles. I used to study Komodo okay. dragons, so I'm, like, super into that. <laughs> Those ones are dangerous. Maybe next game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Next one. Indonesia. <laughs> So, well, you bring up violence, Alenda, in a way, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to shy away from the fact video games are often often very violent. There's blood, there's gore, there are fights, um, you kill people and you kill animals. Do you find, and again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but have you found, both of you in your experience, that players balk more at violence against animals in games than they do at violence against human characters, like NPCs? I'm yeah, nodding I think too. So. Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I think <laughs> less stories necessarily from from players, but even just a, a development anecdote. Like we'll review the game mm. at times, and we'll have sometimes we'll have hundreds of people watching a stream or watching a, a replay of of an, a, an encounter in the world. And if you do anything close to bad to an animal, everybody in the chat's going to be like, "What did, did, did they do that? Did you shoot that? Did, how could you do that, you animal?" You, like, and but then you walk into a compound and have a massive shootout with the military, and it's absolutely fine. That's just normal days carry right. on. So, uh, I think there is a, a tendency for people to be more protective of the animal populations inside of video games, and, mm. and I think it does kind of come from the fact that animals tend to be the innocent party you know humans have have right. you know, cultivated their land and, and they're in these environments they're not part of the good or the bad they're part of life they're, mm. they're there because you know right. the animals that are there that are bad are generally bad because humans have made them that way so they've been taught to be that oh, way so I, I do think it comes from that level of innocence that animals have even if there's predators there that are out to kill you you know, sometimes you you can feel bad for killing a lot of you're in you're in you're on their territory. Yeah, you're in their you'll way. You'll be driving through the woodlands in your in your jeep and smashing through trees, and you'll accidentally run over a, a predator in the wild there, and you'll be oh sorry. You probably wouldn't do that if it was an enemy because the enemies <laughs> are bad, and and we do so much work to to teach the player that the people that they're shooting against, the humans that they're shooting against, are bad people. We do a lot mm. to, through the narrative and the storytelling mm-hmm. and the cinematics. This is a bad person, right. this is a good person. So I think that that natural innocence that the, the animals have is, is probably where that comes from. Does that line up, Alenda, with your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, yeah. And I think um, what you're pointing to is, the I think, that we actually tend to project onto animals in real life already. We tend to see them as an innocent party, even if they're not. <laughs> and so 
I think maybe there's more, it's more upsetting because we've already kind of flattened them in our daily interactions in real life. Um, and so it's easier to sort of transpose the realism to like games and other interactive media. And whereas we see the the constructed humans as artificial and it's really not problematic at all. So I, again, it's like flipping it to say that we're also treating real animals like our companion species, our pets mm-hmm. um, in a flattened way. And it's largely about projecting like our own desires and our own like need for innocence and for sort of dependence and unconditional love onto these other species. And I'm not saying it's bad to have pets, but that they've always been foils to humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all do the same thing with our pets, right? We like kind of project these emotions on them that when you think about it, they probably don't feel, but we just kind of like read that onto them. I know countless, countless, you know, clickbait articles about do our cats really love us? (laughs) They definitely do not. (laughs) Do dogs really, yeah, do dogs really even care? Are we just sources of food? I mean, you know, we obviously have existential questions about these relationships. I want to talk about a phenomenon online, which is very well known now, which is pet the dog. And I mean, it's expanded into many more things. But essentially now, you know, in a game that's not about necessarily or that doesn't have animals at its core, like an action adventure game, for example, like a Far Cry or Assassin's Creed, it's all I mean, it's almost necessary for developers to include some kind of pet the dog feature. Assassin's Creed Valhalla had like pet the cat and even pick up the cat, I think. Like you need to or else basically players are going to call out the games that don't have the feature <laughs> and developers are going to have to work <laughs> to implement it later on in in the, you know, as an update to the game. So, and and that's an interesting case because it's completely different from some of the stuff that we've been talking about, the more utilitarian stuff because it's there's no there's no benefit to it usually, right? It's just purely for the pleasure of petting the animal. There are maybe exceptions, like I'm thinking of Zelda Breath of the Wild, where if you give the dog something to eat, he might bring you to a treasure or, or maybe not, right? It depends on, on the dog. But um, I never got that to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up. I think it happened to me once, and then once it happens to you once, you just like try with every single dog. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts about Pet the Dog? I think you're right. So there's, a, there's an element of it, it became something that if you didn't do, you were, you were bad. Um, but there's there's something there is something very cathartic about interacting with an animal in a, even in a video game, and, and like again you know I'm work, working on Far Cry I'm going to keep relating back to Far Cry and before that Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. you, you know we we spend a lot of our time hunting the animals or you know going trying to avoid being eaten by the animals so having opportunities to be able to feed the little animal and throw a fish to the to the pelican one it's something that you don't necessarily get to do in real life because wild animals don't tend to stick around the same Um, but it is something that if you went to a zoo generally speaking you know the big show time at the zoo is is feeding time so you you know people have kind of got this thing of oh if you get if you feed the animal you get to see more of it you get to see it moving you get to see it happy Mm. there's something like a spectacular yeah there is there is a spectacle i think to that and and that's kind of where it's where it's progressed to and and even uh you know again that element of of building systems and having the opportunity for things to happen unexpectedly so uh in Mm. far cry 6 we've got a a system whereby a random person from the world because you can have friendly faction in Far Cry 6 not everybody's out to get you which is a, one of the big differences you can have people that are friends with you for a change uh, and they will actually re- react to your amigo 
So depending on what amigo you've got, sometimes they'll be like, oh, mm. it's crocodile, it's scary. Or, or if you've got one of the dogs, mm. they're like, boom, boom, boom. You know, they'll actually interact with the dog. And the first time that went into the game, again, developer anecdote, the, the first time that went in, we were doing a review and we were all just stood watching as this random NPC walked up to Boom Boom and Boom Boom jumps up, paws up and the, the, the person's like ruffling the, the neck and the chin like, oh, good dog. And you just, Aww. yeah, everyone does that. Everyone goes, oh. <laughs> And then you go back to the mission, which is to go and assassinate a president of a dictated country, you know, and it's kind of like the, the... But isn't it incredible that it makes us react the same way and that it gives us maybe not as much joy, but like the same kind of joy, right, on the same spectrum of joy to pet a digital, like to have a, a digital avatar pet a digital animal? <laughs> hmm. I kind of have two minds about this because having... I, you know, my my parents were immigrants from Taiwan and I spent a year there teaching and I really realized how our notion of pets is very Western uh, yeah. <laughs> after living there for a year because people would drop like stray animals at the school that I worked at and the teachers really just didn't care. Yeah. There was really no sense of like, we have to take care of these living right. things. Um, they're, they're like trash. And um, so I do think there's some cultural specificity to that, but also at the same time there is like a universal like appeal of companionship and it it doesn't necessarily have to be an animal but we're sort of hardwired to just want to care for other like non-humans it could be like a doll or a tamagotchi or um, a plant a house plant (laughs) (laughs) but that animals especially because they give us so much feedback Mm. are really um are excellent, but I would love to see a game where you went to pet the dog and it kind of recoiled, like to oh. make to remind us that there's like a consent mechanic right, right, a little right, right, bit right. here. The dog is not right that it's not yeah. always it's not just there to yeah, be pet; like it has its own uh, called Chichiron. Its own desires. One of the amigos in Far Cry Six, he's got an attitude, and Chichiron will actually go to the pet. Chichiron will back away and be like, "No, doesn't doesn't want." That's the rooster, the rooster yeah. right? Because the rooster yep. is kind of huffy. <laughs> I like that. See. Do you have examples of of games that for you have really interesting um, or thought-provoking representations of of animals or use animals in in different ways? Well, we haven't talked about games where um, you actually play as an animal protagonist. And I think that's like a, that's a new area. And um, in my book, I wrote about the Swedish studio, Might and Delight. They have those shelter games. They have shelter one, two, and three, where you play as a mother badger lynx and um, elephant matriarch of a herd and then they had a an mmo called um the meadow i believe where you could sort of interact without the the predator prey dynamics mm. <laughs> as these different species um so i thought that was kind of fascinating even if on a gameplay level i'm not sure it succeeded um and if you watch people playing through those games they get very very invested in the survival of the brood right so it's sort of tapping tapping into that sort of maternal dynamic. Um, I don't want to spoil the endings, but you know it's very it's very hard to keep those animal babies alive. I'll just That's say that. That's a non-spoiler answer. I think in a similar vein, of the, the the game I was going to jump on was uh, Stray, which again, you know, it's, course, a, it's a recent yeah. one, but it, it puts you in that animal third-person perspective. You get to play a game and solve puzzles and navigate uh, through through the city as a, as a cat, but then you get to do things like you get to meow 
is one of the things you can yeah. do as an emote is meow, which you know is is kind of interesting to have people give that have that ability and then and then have that ability to nuzzle up to humans to see what their reaction is, which is kind of the inverse of pet the dog. It's nuzzle the human yeah. and mm-hmm. then see what their reaction is on the opposite side. So it's a very different. The robot. Yep. <laughs> well, I know I had just played through Stray too, and I. I love that they put all these catty behaviors in. Like the first time my cat got a paper bag stuck on its head, I actually kind of was super shocked <laughs> because you sort of like stumble around drunkenly. You can't navigate very well, but it's also fun. Um, and do you think it really changed or can change your perspective on animals to actually in, embody one in a game like that? Because we talked a little bit about empathy earlier, but it was more from the perspective of humans and how we treat animals and so forth. But maybe that's one of the ways that games can do it is by actually having you uh, see the world through the eyes of an animal. Did it change at all how you kind of, you know, would interact with a cat or see a cat? That's an interesting question. I think I think it could. I think it, I guess the the test there would be to get somebody who absolutely doesn't like cats and have them, mm. have them play that game and see when they come out of it if their perspectives change so I, I think for me I had, I had a cat growing up um, so you kind of see the traits that you remember from uh, right you were connecting it to your experience of, of having yeah, a cat and, more and, so, and knowing yeah. the cat yeah cat exposure therapy <laughs> um, well you know I think we had talked earlier about how there's this trend of like uh, people playing stray and letting their own cats watch and then the the real cat sort of interacting with the virtual cat and yeah they seem really cool. fascinated with the game not mine mine was sort of <laughs> meh <laughs> but i don't think she's the smartest cat ever yeah. either so <laughs> but i do think um i like that because it opened up just that player game dynamic to like a third party which which i thought was kind of fascinating um but I, in terms of empathy, yeah, I mean, it's possible. But I do think it goes back to that curiosity thing. If it provokes curiosity and at least an openness, mm-hmm. then that's a good starting point. And if we can make the dynamics of the representation more interesting and more surprising, then um, then that curiosity kind of ratchets up to a place where you can maybe actually derive something new <laughs> or learn something new that you wouldn't otherwise have known. Yeah, or, and at the... Or at felt. the end of the day, that's that's what we can ask of a form of entertainment like like video games. I think right is is opening up that space and just kind of cr- creating at least a foundation of of asking questions and and maybe changing yep. your perspective. Yeah, I think um, I was going to bring in. There's um, well, he's he's passed away, but John Berger, who is a sort of famous English art critic, had a beautiful essay called "Why Look at Animals." He talks about zoos and stuffed animals like teddy bears, but he says that. Um, you know, our animals are the reason why we're so attracted to them and as pets and other things is because they speak to the loneliness of man as a species. Mm. And I think that was beautiful because I really do. <laughs> I really do think that's sort of the niche, right, of the animal, um, you know, to, to kind of to be a companion or to be a foil or to, to help us understand our sort of uniqueness. Or when you're playing Untitled Goose Game, you're you're just a jerk. <laughs> or just to be you're a jerk. You're just a jerk yeah. of a goose. <laughs> Trapping the little boy in the telephone. <laughs> it can't always be the exactly. way you want. 
Well, on that note, um, that's all the time we have. So I, I want to thank you both for joining us today for this conversation. And um, yeah, it was super interesting. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was really, really great. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tenth Art. Make sure you don't miss any of our episodes as they come out. Subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Ubisoft.com slash The Tenth Art Podcast. Thank you.